Hi, I'm Sean L. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Forty years after his first screen credit as Modell in the Barry Levinson film Diner, Paul Reiser is enjoying a career renaissance, co-starring in the biggest series on both Netflix and Amazon in Stranger Things and The Boys. Now in his 60s, Reiser has returned to his first love, stand-up comedy, embarking on a nationwide tour in the fall of 2022. Reiser sat down with me to talk about stand-up then and now, rebooting Mad About You, and then now co-starring in a Hulu comedy about reboots called Reboot. Making passion projects that might not get seen nowadays thanks to streaming platform algorithms, making Beverly Hills Cop movies with Eddie Murphy, and how it all comes back to the comic strip in the end. Or doesn't. If you like this conversation, please consider subscribing to my Substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com so you can read bonus commentary on this episode as well as more comedy news and insights. Thanks in advance, and now that that's out of the way, let's get to it! So, Paul Reiser, thank you so much for joining me. If if you will indulge me for just a second, I mean more than a second, probably a half hour at least. Is there by any chance an alternate take from season four of Stranger Things where, no spoilers, but when they find you, you say the words, this is not my office? <laughs> uh, there is no alternate take. That would have been a smart move. I'm looking for an alternate take, which shows me alive and well and marching into season five. I have not been uh, shown that or been uh, indicated that that exists. So it's funny. People ask me, what happens next year in Stranger Things? I go, I can't even tell you what happened this year. And I was in, it. you know, I'm the wrong guy to ask. <laughs> But for, I don't know if it might be my neighbor, Tom. I don't know. Or just watching Beverly Hills Cop and Beverly Hills Cop 2 so many times. But this is not my office is just a line that has resonated with me for Yeah, It was this decades. is not my locker, which is really it was the line in the movie. But what was really crazy about that was a silly improv on the day 40 years ago. And for some reason, more than any other line of anything I've ever done, that's what people will come over to me on the street and say. And it took me a long time to understand it because people sometimes would put little twists on it mm-hmm. thinking I would get it. You know, I'll be in an airport and someone would go, Hey, this is not my, my suitcase. And I was like, what? Oh, it's my suitcase. No, this is not my suitcase. I go, ah, right. You're doing the thing. Yeah. He's doing the thing. Give me a, let me set it up next time. So I don't walk into it cold like that. Yeah. Those movies that also kind of ties you back in a full circle way, especially since they're not rebooting, but they're reviving Beverly Hills Cop again uh, with the comic strip guys, because you were a comic strip guy. Yeah. You was a comic strip guy. Chris Rock who made his debut in part two was a comic strip guy. It was funny. You know, I was talking to Eddie not long ago and, and uh, he, he was saying, you know, comic strip was the least sexy of all the clubs and it was the least uh, in some ways respected but probably per capita, more guys came out of there with careers than perhaps some other clubs, um, right. you know, guys who were there. But I, I was telling someone, I remember when I was, you know, really just starting, I was 22, 22 or something. And, and um, at the comic strip, you know, and we're all 
we're all starting out, but we're working at the club. And there was the rumor, there was a buzz. Guys who would come in from Long Island say, you know what? There's a kid you got to see. He only works the island. He's 16. His name is Eddie Murphy. He's so funny. So I, we had all heard about him. And then I remember when he came in the first time, we all just, <laughs> I just went, what is this? The guy is just so magnetic and, 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 and confident. And like he's, what, maybe he was 17. Uh, but he was just, he had that magic and that power and that confidence. Um, from day one. And I remember, and I was telling, I told him when I saw when he did SNL last year or two years ago, whatever it was during the lockdown, it was so joyful to see him as, even as the show progressed, even that 90 minutes progressed, he just seemed to be enjoying himself and being so, uh, childlike in the best sense. It was just, oh, he's not trying to be, you know, He's not doing raw. He's just having fun and being silly and it's not, and he looked like a child, you know, a joyful, playful child. It was so it was really, really fun to watch. Is that how you feel now getting back on tour as a stand up? I don't feel youthful. Um <laughs> I feel you know, I always quote the George I think it was George Carlin quote who said, I perform for free, but you gotta pay me to go through the airport. So that's you know, that's the drag part. I don't know that I feel youthful, but I feel totally connected and in sync with whoever I was at 18 when I went on stage the first time. You know, I I keep saying this, there's almost nothing you can do in your 60s that feels the same as your 20s, but stand-up is one, and maybe the only. And when I hadn't been on stage for a long time, and I went up, this is, you know, maybe eight years ago, first time I went back on stage, I was struck by how... Uh, identical it felt i mean it was worlds different i was older and you know and i was known so it wasn't audition night but it was the same excitement the same nervousness the same fears like oh this is not going to work and then the same joy when something works the same excitement it's really an energy of okay i can't wait to come back in tomorrow and try that bit or or drive into the club and go okay you know what i'm going to do the same set as yesterday but that new line is going to help and you know and i say i don't get that animated about anything you know, but but trying to find the little bricks in the wall that make a nice, you know, that make a bit work or that make stand, make your set work is exciting. And and to a person, when I talk to comics, you know, that I, I don't say that I came in with, but he's like, there's a shared sense of that. We all feel that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I remember my son would go, you're driving down 45 minutes to do 10 minutes on stage and then you're going to drive 45. I go, yeah. He goes, they pay you? I go, no, they don't pay you. Why would you do it? I go, because that's how you do it. That's how you become a comedian. I remember you did, you were part of a round table at the improv on Melrose when Judd Apatow and Adam Sandler did Funny People. Right. How, How much did that experience kind of put the idea back in your head that, oh, maybe... Maybe there's still some stand up in no, there. No, that had no not that had nothing to do with it. Uh, no? was that was, I remember doing that. I think Are you sure? I think I, I think I remember doing a round table, but it was much earlier than that. Um Well it showed up as part of the movie with you and George Wallace and Monty Hoffman and some other Oh, people. that wasn't a round that was a scene in the movie. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. a scene in the movie. No, I was you know, I was basically staying home and I hadn't done anything and I was enjoying staying home and, and I hadn't been on stage in probably twenty years and I got this call come in and sit it up, you know, be in this scene. And, and I actually remember feeling very uncomfortable because it was, it was, it felt phony. 
You know, it's like, <laughs> I mean, I knew everybody at the table and I would have right. loved to hang with them, but we were hanging for a scene in a movie that I knew nothing about. Okay. And I didn't know Judd. I, I knew Adam, but I didn't know the story, you know, and, and, uh, and Seth, I had never met Seth. And then I felt like, so you wanted to turn on that, you know, it's kind of sacred, the, you know, the, that love of you know going out. And we did that on comics and we would go out after sets and we would hang out and we would support each other and critique each other and bust each other's balls. And, you know, that was a huge part and that was real. And I, I just remember that day feeling very uh, uncomfortable because it was like, well, you're asking us to fake it for your movie. Okay, so it feels like. As an actor, I don't feel comfortable because I don't know what this movie is. Mm -hmm. And as a comic, I feel a little bit um, usurped because, you know, we can't just turn it on and pretend so that you get your scene. I wasn't sure if it was one of those things where they just have you. No, if it looked like that, good, you know, good for (laughs) Judd. If they have you sitting around and then after a while, they just the cameras are rolling and they might catch magic in a bottle. I think that's probably what happened. But, you know, I'm never a big fan of that. Just turn on the cameras and something will happen. It's like, oh, not really. So what what did flip the switch for you then? Because you you just said you were enjoying being at home and yeah, well, having a family and doing all the normal the quote unquote normal. Yeah, well, you know, it was coming off of seven years of very intense mad about you and and we, you know, when it was over, right after it was over, we had our second kid and moved into her house, and I was really needed a break. And then I was, I was really enjoying not working all the time, but I, but I was where I was writing. I was doing, I wrote a lot of pilots and I, I wrote a lot of things, but I wasn't out there. And, but in my mind, I was always intending to go back to stand up. So, you know, during Mad About You, I just didn't have the bandwidth to do it. So I go all when it's over and then I was enjoying <laughs> being home. And now it's 10 years. Now it's 12 years. And then, one of the kicks was my son, who was maybe eight. He came home one day, and in my head, I was thinking, what a great treat for him. He comes home, and dad is home. Dad is there when he comes home, and what a treat for him. And <laughs> came, must have been like second grade or something. He said, Dad, what What do you do? <laughs> the other dad seemed to all do something. What do you mm-hmm. do? I went, oh, I should probably get out of the house. And... um but uh, you know what? To actually answer, so that so there was always this general thing of, uh, I'll you know I'll know when the time is right. And it's like, well, you don't really. You just have to say, "Fuck it, here it is." But what really triggered one night, I, I sort of emceed a a charity event. I forget. They must have been honoring a friend of mine or something. I forget what it was. And it was just loose, you know. And an MC, you don't have to really perform. You just get up, you joke a little bit, you make fun of your friends in the audience, whatever. And it was just one of those nights and it was like, it was funny and I was on and I was getting laughs and I, and I suddenly that reactivated this thing like, right, that's fun. That's not film. That's not TV. That's just being funny in front of people and getting laughs, getting your pay, getting your paycheck, so to speak, right away. You don't have to wait till the movie comes out. You don't have to wait till it's, the series is picked up. It's like, oh. Just be funny. So I think that was the night that I went, all right, I gotta just do it. I think it's time to jump in the pool. You know, it's hot out and the pool looks really cool and inviting, but for some reason I'm not jumping in. <laughs> After that, I went, yeah, I'm gonna jump in. So when you decide to jump back in, how did you do it? Did you? Exactly the way I did it when I was, you know, starting. I, I went down to the club. I didn't have to audition anymore. So it wasn't an audition night. 
But uh, there's a club down in Hermosa Beach here called the Comedy and Magic Club, which is legendary and, oh, and, yeah. and really great. It's, you know, it's, they treat comics well. They, you know, they don't put them through the sort of <laughs> hazing that I remember, even the new guys, even the rookies. But, and I went in and I, I think I had five minutes of stuff, just ideas that I, you know, and I hadn't, and I worked on it, but you don't know until you get on stage if it works or not. And, and I remember going on and, and they were, Oh, it's so nice to see you. Welcome back. I hadn't been there in years. And they put me up and it was, you know, as a surprise guest and the audience is, Oh, oh we know this guy. It's mad about you, boy. And so there's a nice enthusiasm and nice wind at your back. Mm-hmm. And then that lands, that lasts about 20 seconds. And then they're kind of looking at you like, and what is it you wanted to tell us? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I, I got nothing. And I was just, and, and I realized, and so I would go back and I had five minutes and then maybe a month later I'd have seven minutes. And it's, and I realized I was reminded because I, I did learn this the first time, but I had to be reminded that it's not just the material that you're shaping. It's your, um, confidence and it's your authority and your skill and those skills are sort of in they're sort of intangible you know it's it's memory it's like oh wow i have to remember how to remember it's like this is not three lines in a scene this is 20 minutes or more i had to remember how to be functioning past 8 30 at night it's like oh right it's <laughs> it's not pajama time it's show time i can look back at those tapes you know because we taped everything they have you know they have a video in the club so when I first went up 10 years, eight, 10 years ago, you know, it makes me cringe a little. It's like, wow, I was so raw and not confident. And I remember talking to other guys who were headlining. I go, well, when you go out, how, how long do you do? And they go, oh, an hour, hour 15. I went, what? That's insane. <laughs> how can you possibly? And now, you know, I don't know how to do less than an hour. I, you know, I do, you know, I go now, I'll look down, I go 95 minutes, like, didn't feel like 95 minutes. And I go, that's a movie. You just talked for a whole movie, which is kind of absurd and (laughs) narcissistic, I guess. One thing that might be a little different in your sixties compared to your twenties is retraining yourself, not just on the idea of being out late, but on the idea of, Oh, I need to go out every night or I need to go out multiple nights a week to stay sharp. Yeah. It's, and that's one of the things I loved about it that, you know, people say, oh, keep everyone said so many interviews say, well, stand how stand up has changed, hasn't it? I went, No, it hasn't. It hasn't at all. I mean, the content may change and there are subjects maybe that are different. The news has changed. But stand up is exactly the same as it's ever been. It's you, it's what you think of, your skill in delivering it, and the audience receiving it. And there's no way to accelerate it. There's no app that makes you get better faster. It's only by doing it night after night after night. And I, to be honest, I wish, I wish I had a club 10 minutes for my, you know, I wish I could go on every night because I see it. It's like if I go on three nights a week, it's like, Oh, that's, that bit's working now. And I take a week off or I don't have a gig for a week. And I go, Oh, <laughs> that bit's drag. What, what did I do? I can't remember. There was a line right there that made that work and then it's kind of lost into the ether and no matter how much i try to record it or note it or journal it it's like ah what was it i said something i said something funnier last week that's gone (laughs) and 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 i love i love the old school low-tech quality of it that it's it's just elbow grease and commitment i i love all the things you just said uh for multiple reasons Uh, one of which is 
Now FX on Hulu has just started releasing their own comedy specials. Um, there's all these different platforms now that are releasing specials. And also it, it made me go back and watch one of your, you have an old special that's called three and a half blocks from home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you talked about wanting to have a place close to home. That's, that was the title of your Showtime special. And not only that, Going back and watching that special earlier today, it reminded me, myself and when I talk with comedians or other journalists who who talk and write about comedy, there's an old trope that we talk about where it's like the difference between like a comedy special and a comedy normal. But you have an opening joke in that Showtime special that's that exact joke about how it's, it's not a regular, it's a special. Because you paid <laughs> because you paid for an orchestra. If it was a regular, it wouldn't have had the Paul Reiser orchestra. So I think you might be the first the first comedian that actually has a joke about I don't even know. So, what makes a comedy special special. That's so funny. I don't even remember that. Yeah, I saw a clip I have somebody's finding all these clips for me and pulling clips from that show. I was like, Jesus. 30 years old and you know i'm 40 pounds thinner and younger um <laughs> me too and, and it's funny because the, the the venue was a theater that i grew up in i grew up i used to go it was a movie theater and it, it was the big old it was like an old movie palace kind of theater but in a neighborhood that was going downhill and then it became uh a venue so it felt historic to me but I, the layout of the room was very strange it was it was not quite a club. It wasn't quite a theater. And um, it looks nice when I see this. It's like, oh, it was lit well, and it was it was a nice looking. Right, like it's banquet seating. Yeah, yeah. And, and the lighting of the tables was actually used. And it's like audience was a bit more well lit than <laughs> you want normally. I don't need to see the faces. But um, I was relieved to see it. Like, oh, that's funny. I was funny for an hour. That was good. When you, when you first started getting back up on stage in Hermosa Beach, had Red Oaks come out yet? No. So no. you really were kind of coming up cold for for some of these. Oh, I hadn't done numbers. nothing. I had done nothing. Uh, yeah. I think I went back up in 2011, maybe. I mean, just started to go up, and then 12, I started to go out and work. You know, do right. do a full show. Took it took a full year before I felt confident enough to do an hour. I remember the first gig they booked a. a, a it was an improv like but like an hour away or something. The improvs here, they're actually beautiful clubs. There's like three or four of them. And they're like three, 400 seaters. And they're, they're really nice. And um, I remember the first, the first gig I did, and I was really anxious about it. And they said, oh, this show's at eight and 10. I went, I, I don't know if I can do an hour. Don't, don't make me do it twice. <laughs> and then what was, I mean, literally, the first, that was the first time I had done it. And literally at the end of that hour, I went, ah, oh, I should have done a second one. I'd love to do another one right now. I'm ready. I'm ready to go right now. I mean, and that surprised me. In retrospect, it doesn't surprise me that I, I love stand-up. And I love, I always love doing it. And I, I, when I was in high school and I was really diving into it, and, you know, I had a few handful of buddies that we'd talk about, Colin on the night, you know, who was on Johnny Carson the night before, or, or you know, or to see Albert Brooks's thing. And, you know, we would really into it and i don't think i had in my mind i'm going to do that because that's a, I, who would have the balls to think that you know at 16 i'm going to do that why well, you don't know how to do that 
but I was drawn to it. And then I was lucky that those clubs, as we know them, were emerging and specifically, and, and, and more specifically, they, there were people who had emerged from the clubs who you knew in your living room with them, David Brenner and Gabe Kaplan and Freddie Prinze and Jimmy Walker and, uh, and then comics who you'd see on tonight show. It's like, Oh, they came from there. So that's the place to go. And because absent that sort of roadmap, I don't think I ever would have found my way into doing it. But a lot of what people know you about now is a completely different thing from what it's people, so funny people to my age. I know. I, yeah. You well, well it's, always, it's nice to hear when people, you know, and I'll just enough to sustain me. And if somebody go, Hey, I saw you. I remember a bit you did in 84 and like, Oh, well, that's great. Or I saw, you know, I, I was an exec, a studio exec, you know, you, you played at my college. <laughs> oh, oh my God. That's how old I am now. But, but, um, Somebody told me that they had a conversation that somebody was a little bit put off. Some younger guy went, wait a minute, Dr. Owens from Stranger Things? Now he thinks he's funny? He's going to just stand up? And my friend had to go, no, he's always been doing that. <laughs> like, yeah, and it's I'm finding it. It's really interesting. I mean, I've I'm, been I'm so lucky. I'm on all these big shows, some bigger than others. But um, they don't necessarily translate because I'm not really necessarily funny. Like on Stranger Things, I'm not funny. So you wouldn't go, oh, I got to go pay money to see that guy. But it's interesting. I can definitely see the audience glow and and diversify in, in terms of demographics. I mean, I can right. just, that's my core mad about you crowd. Oh, look, those younger, that's Stranger Things. Those old people, that's Kaminsky. That, that, and all of those guys with the tattoos, that's the boys. Okay. I can see I can see them starting to come from different paths. It has to feel even more startling now after just before those these big projects like Stranger Things or the boys you had this period where you were doing projects like you you're in a new show called reboot, but you went through the whole process of rebooting mad about you, but it was on a platform that you could only get if you watched spectrum. You yeah. Did, it was one step. It was one step below Al Jazeera. It was very, <laughs> very low but, but even lower than that, you did there's Johnny for CISO, which imploded before anybody had a chance to yeah, see. CISO. You know, I, I, I had, I've had networks cancel my show. I was the first show to cancel the network. I, <laughs> We, we were their big, their big fish, and then we broke them, and they just folded. And and I had to, I, that, you know, I, I talk about this often in interviews. You know, oh, you're on so many things. I went, yeah, the things that seem to be the biggest, which I'm, I'm thrilled to be invited and, and included. You know, Stranger Things is a global juggernaut, and but I have nothing to do with it. You know, what I mean, it's like they invited me to play this role, and it's great, and and it's wonderful. But that's not my baby. So, and the things that I care about are often the ones that see the least amount of daylight. So there's Johnny, uh, which I had been trying to get made for 12 years, uh, you know, and, but we couldn't get past. We needed Johnny Carson's blessing and his company. They were very, very protective. And so they kept saying no. And it was, you know, we couldn't go forward. And then he died and we couldn't. And then finally, a few years later, the guy, he went, yeah. So his company said, sure. So. Well, that was on CISO, CISO folded. And I had, then I had to literally call executives at, uh, Comcast. 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 Yeah. And I said, you know, this show is great. It shouldn't disappear. And they, and, and they owned a little of it. The Comcast owned it somehow because they, oh, the CISO was part of Comcast. Right. And they had a piece, they had a relationship with Hulu. So they said, I said, 
this is too good to die. And they went, you're right. And they found a way to put it on Hulu. But they put it on Hulu is, you know, such a funny way. And this is why Reboot is so fun, because you get to sort of bite the hand that feeds you and make fun right. of the, the, the machinery. But so Hulu had it, but it was, they didn't, they didn't own it. They didn't create it. So they felt like it was, we, I always felt like we were the uh, foster child that they had to feed us, but they didn't have this to give us the same food they were giving their own kids. So they put us on, but sort of reluctantly. And I remember saying, you know, it's on in two weeks. Are you guys going to do any publicity? And they went, well, we're going to, there's one of these crazy meetings that you go, what? You shake your head. I'm meeting this guy who is, you know, maybe 28 and, and he's the head of all their algorithms. I said, well, how, how are people going to know about the show? I said, well, if you have Hulu, you turn it on, then we're going to have it featured in the homepage. And then it'll, it'll, if you go to any of the people involved in the show, it'll send you to this show. So if you're watching Hulu, you know, that's 17 million people. I said, great. Let me ask you this. What if, what if you don't have Hulu? How would you know to come to Hulu to watch it? And he went, Oh yeah. Well, uh, whatever you can do to help. I went, that's what if I can. So I remember I got Conan and I got on a couple of shows and, you know, I did a bunch of these and, and the, the good side about the streaming and being so one of the good things about how many platforms there are is that you don't have to, it doesn't have to be a hit out of the gate. You know, it's there, which is all I want that I want. I don't even need publicity. Don't spend any money on it. Just put it there. So if people word of mouth go, have you ever seen that show? Check it out. It's on Hulu. Then somebody told me, I got an email like, you know, it's not on Hulu anymore. So when did that happen? Then I come to find out, oh, they only had it for two years. And the minute they were done, they went, goodbye. And so then I had to go door to door again. And I called Peacock. I said, the Peacock was just forming. I said, if this isn't a show that's right for Peacock, I don't know what is. It's about NBC. It's about the golden age of tonight show. The NBC Peacock is in our show. Uh, and they went, yeah, this would be great. And it's already made. It cost us nothing. I go, just fucking put it up. Um, so there it is. So again, Peacock's not the widest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, I, period, I'll hear from a person here and there that saw the show. Oh, my God, this is great. I go, I know. I mean, everybody, I, I think it's, I'm really proud of that show. And I love everybody's performance in it. Uh, but it's like a well-kept secret. And so, you know, so I... I've come to accept that that's just sort of how life is. I can't, certainly can't complain. I'm getting to do a lot of things I wanted to do. But the things that I end up doing a lot of press about, you know, have little to do with me. Uh, you know, Reboot is, is is a bit of a more than, you know, stranger things. Like Reboot, it's like, well, it's a small ensemble cast. I'm more a part of that show. And it's a world that is something I really know. So it's stranger things. I go, I don't get that world. Right. I got to tell you. <laughs> uh, but a show about making a half hour sitcom, that's fun. And, you know, and we have executive characters, you know, executive playing executives who are as clueless as some that I've met. Not the current Hulu people. They're great. The, uh, um, <laughs> but, but. Have you been yeah. able to, have you been able to bring your stories to the, I think you know, I've, I've had a couple of ideas, and I'll throw them towards Steve Levitan. You know, I said that. I remember that we were we right before we started production, we were all on this uh, mandatory uh, HR, you know, sensitivity thing, mm-hmm. which is well intentioned and good to know. And thank God we're doing that. But it's also uh, you're talking to the mostly. So the converted, we are, we're with you. And if you're going to be an asshole, I don't think this lecture is going to turn you around. But so I remember, you know, I was just sitting on my hands trying to not 
you know, chime in with something wildly off color just to be funny. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying to Steve, I said, we have to do a scene about that. I said, that's, you know, if you're doing a show that's coming back 20 years after the original, that's certainly something they're going to deal with. They're going to, right? They're going to deal with what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. What's really fun on Reboot, it's, if, if there's a phrase or a word or a concept that you, that is going to call it ruffle feathers now that would have been unnoticed 20 years ago, writers will sit in a room and they'll debate it and they'll go, okay, well, let's do this. And, but to me, the conversation about why you can't is what's funny. So this was a scene where I just made a you know, passing reference about, oh, somebody in Eskimo, and they went, you can't say that. I go, how, when did that happen? What is, is Eskimo bad? Is that derogatory? Mm-hmm. Uh, if I said Canadian, is that, you know, uh, so, so to me, you get to actually do the joke you want, you, and then you have the chorus that says, can't do it. And then you had the other side, which is, why? Why is it we can't do it? Explain it to me. And it really is a very authentic looking show. I mean, it does feel like making a show, making a half hour show. But instead of it being about the silly sitcom inside the show, it's about the cameras are reversed and it's the people you know, behind the cameras making the show. And then, of course, you know, we mentioned earlier Beverly Hills Cop. It, it sounds like it's finally gonna, gonna they're doing it yep they're doing it and uh it's a big secret though i don't know they, they you know not a lot of talk about it Net- well that, they announced that they're doing it netflix is doing it eddie's in it i'm not allowed to say i'm in it until it's <laughs> in it. you know? you're not allowed to say whether you received the email chains or i can't say anything <laughs> i never heard of you i never heard of anybody well well one thing that that i already mentioned that you guys are both involved in was the strip and also, you know, since the pandemic, Richie Tenkin died. Yeah. And I don't know if it, he probably, I'm guessing he never got his hooks in you as a manager or, or a rep like he did with Eddie and Chris. I don't know that they set out to manage anybody else. Uh, you know, they were not looking to be managers. I think, I don't know what happened behind the scenes. I just, you know, Eddie was such a shooting star. And they must have just, somebody realized you know, it was Richie Tinkin and Bob Wax, and Bob Wax was the attorney, and Richie was really just, a, you know, not just, but he was a bar owner. And then they, you know, their their whole premise, they built a club because they one night couldn't get into Catch a Rising Star, and they realized, we can make money on the overflow. You know, if these people throwing people out, hell, we'll open up down the street, which they did. And they had a 30-year run and made a fortune. Um, so they didn't set out to be insurance show business they were just you know working the cash register um but i think when eddie walked in they went oh and, and phone calls probably came in for the first time they went, we should have a piece of that i remember but richie was the guy i was working the comic strip in florida they you know they were doing so well they branched out they opened one in fort lauderdale in 80 you know it's just like, like a few years after i think the comic strip opened in 76 maybe so mm-hmm. this is a few years later they opened in florida so for us that was our first road gig you know and, we, and it was <laughs> you know we were idiots. We were 22, whatever, 23. And going to Florida and they had a house, a shitty house that four comics and just drinking beers and swimming in a pool and having girls over and, Oh, we got to do a show for 20 minutes at night. <laughs> and then, you know, it was like heaven. It's like, well, how long has this been going on? But I was there when I got, I had auditioned in New York for a diner, which was my first job, first anything. And I didn't have an agent. I didn't have any, I, you know, I didn't know anything. And I 
stumbled into the audition, in fact, by accident. So anyway, cut to a week later, I'm in Florida, I get the call. I don't know what I was doing in the club. I don't think I was in the club. It was daytime. And I remember they must have called at the house and said, you got to come over to the club. They're going to call back. And I spoke to the producer and he said, you got the part. I went, oh, you know, are you free? Can you be in Baltimore next week? I went, uh, oh, yeah, I'm free. I got nothing to do. And I didn't have an agent. So Richie, who's this Bronx, Bronx bar keeper, Bronx, mm-hmm. he had a saloon in the Bronx. He was my showbiz connection. And I, he said, well, let me read, because I, I should should I sign a contract. Basically, whatever they said, here's what you, you're getting $14. Great, thank you. It was, you know, it was an MGM movie and Jerry Weintraub. And, yeah, okay, this is great. So my part was not written, really, you know, and which by design, Barry Levinson said, there's five guys and you're going to be the sixth guy and we'll find it on the day. And it's just, you know. <laughs> we'll find the magic. Which we did, which he did. To his credit, we found it and it became something. <laughs> But at the time, so Richie said, uh, listen, I, you know, I said, should I sign this contract? He goes, I don't know, let me read the script. I'm like, that's going to tell him. <laughs> so Richie, the barkeeper, club mm-hmm. owner, reads the script, gets to the end. He says, what is your character's name again? I said, Modell. And he famously said, yeah, I don't know how to tell you, but you ain't in this. <laughs> 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 and he, was, he wasn't wrong. It's like, I know I'm not in it. I'm going to be. He goes, well, then take whatever the fuck they're giving you and don't bother me. So it was like, yeah, can you hold out for scale? I think whatever scale was, you know, a few hundred bucks. But I was thrilled, you know. And, uh, you know, and I, 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 it's so funny. I'm My sons are 27 and 22. They're now, you know, my oldest son is older than I was then. And my younger son is exactly that age. And so obviously I have gotten older. <laughs> I am further down the track, but I remember and uh, love those days so uh, vividly. So, and, and so frequently, I, I, I just, you know, not that I'm longing to go back there. I, I'm thrilled with how life has worked out since then, but those are such, uh, I don't know if it's the same now for young comics. Maybe it is because you're young, but they're young, but to all of us, it was new, you know? And so, what is a comedy club in Florida that has a house and we could just put up there and we'll make money and drink beer and get laid. This is great. Okay. Um, and what sometimes people come in and have jobs in movies and TV shows. Okay, sure. Put me down for that. So that was my design. And, and, and as I said, diner opened, it was my first job, which is crazy. And it turned out to be this really notable, wonderful and somewhat important movie in terms of just, the, adjusting the tone of movies for it somewhat. So that was my calling card. So so suddenly I was the comedian. And that's how I got on The Tonight Show. I wasn't getting on The Tonight Show. Suddenly, oh, he's a new guy in a movie. He's got a new movie come out and he's a young comedian. Okay. Because uh, apparently I, they were, you know, I hadn't passed the mark yet. So that opened the door for The Tonight Show. And that opened the door to, oh, that's a credit. It's like, oh, you saw him in a movie. And if you didn't see him in a movie, he was in a movie. So here you go. Here's this guy who was in a movie. Um, um, and then one thing sort of led to another and, and the truth is that's what I tell people I got sidetracked I mean I'm very fortunate you know and one thing led to another and then I got to create Mad About You and then that opened every you know and changed life in so many ways but my goal was to do stand up <laughs> and and I'm still trying to you know get around I had a show the other night that was just it was fine you know I was playing Northern California and it was it's just, you know, maybe it wasn't a packed house and it was not, it was, the energy wasn't there. And I went, okay, 
this is one of those nights. <laughs> I got to, I got to shift gears. I got to pull a little bit of lean on a different skill set. I got to adjust. I got off and I, I called my wife. She goes, how was it? I said, ah, it was interesting. She goes, it was bad. I said, no, it wasn't bad. I said, yeah, I learned something. You know, it's like, you learned something. Oh, you reminded of something you learned and had, but I hadn't had to go through. And it was great. I mean, I did 95 minutes and they went home happy and went, yeah, I worked a little harder than I meant to. I didn't have, you know, with the wind at my back, I had to propel myself and make the show happen. But it's like, oh, I'm still learning. Yeah. Not that I ever thought I wasn't, but that's the fun of it. You're still learning every night. Yeah. And you get to be 22 again. I, uh, Paul, thank you so much. I really yeah, appreciate uh, having having this time and uh, getting to see you back on the road again. Uh, whether well, or not yeah. I, whether or not we ever see you back on the strip. If I'm ever playing anywhere you are, come say hello. We'll do. All right, man. Nice to Thanks. talk to you. Thanks, Thanks Paul. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was post-produced by Alex Brazell at Showbird Studios. The music was by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. If you enjoyed listening, please check out my substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com for transcripts, bonus commentary, and expert analysis about comedy, show business, and more. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.